0: Hello, ladies. Wow, it is so good to see all of you here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here today. I am Deb Haygood. I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is a great thrill and an honor to be here with you studying God's Word together. We are Women in the Word. Thank you for coming. How many of you are here for the very first time, Women in the Word, your first time to be here? Raise your hand. All right. Hey, that's wonderful. Marvelous. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. We are so glad to have you, and that means the rest of us have all been here before, so welcome back. Good to be here. This semester we are studying the uh, Gospel of Matthew, and it's been my prayer for you and for me, for all of us, that we would be drawn very close to the heart of Jesus as we see him in the book of Matthew. We see his compassion. He loves us, and we see his authority. He is the king Seems like a long time since we uh, ended Women in the Word uh, last semester. It was right before Thanksgiving, and we've uh, had Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's—a lot of holidays in there. I hope that they were special for you. Um, Christmas for me this year was especially wonderful because um, my husband and my kids and grandkids and I all went to Miami, Florida. That's where I grew up, and we stayed with my mom. It was a great blessing to be with my mom and my sister and her family. And my brothers and their families—they are all in South Florida, so it was great fun to see everybody at Christmas. Um, and I have many special, wonderful memories, but one that stands out to me the most is one that happened Christmas Day. And it was in the kitchen with my sister. Um, and I want to tell you the tradition of my family. Uh, we get up early Christmas morning and we read the Christmas story in Luke two, and then we act it out, and then we open all the presents, and then some. Of us play and then some of us rush to the kitchen and start cooking because it's also our tradition to have a big Christmas dinner about 1 or one thirty on Christmas Day. And it's turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie, you know, the whole, whole works. So you guys probably eat it at Thanksgiving and we eat it Christmas Day. So, um, after it's all over, my sister and her family, she has four boys, uh, one married, one engaged, and so it's, it was quite a big group of us eating Christmas dinner, and my sister was in charge of cleanup. So, we're in the kitchen, she's doing the last pots and pans, and I'm drying the pots and pans, and my sister is singing. Now a couple things you need to know about my sister. She, her name is Sarah Jane, she is 10 years younger than I am, and she is very musically talented. She can play the piano and the organ and the clarinet, and she sings beautifully, and she can choreograph musical presentations. And she's even in a musical group with 10 other women, and they sing so well that people invite them to come sing um, at different occasions and events and meetings. And so she was in there singing some of the songs that she had sang um, in these uh, over-the- Christmas holidays and some of these events, and so I begin singing with her, and I 'm singing loudly. And what you um, want to know about me is I have no musical talent. Sarah Jane got it all, but that's okay. She's known me, um, you know, her whole life, and so she knows I can't sing, so it's fine. We're singing together, and we're singing all the songs, favorite songs, Oh, Holy Night, and Mary, Did You Know, trying to remember all the verses. And then we started singing the traditional songs, and we came to Joy to the World. And I stopped and I said, Sarah Jane, this is the message of Matthew. This is it. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. This is the message of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king, the long-awaited Messiah, the king of the Jews. Joy to the world he is come. In fact, the gospel of Matthew is written by a Jew to the Jews about a Jew. Matthew is the writer and he is writing to his countrymen, the Jewish people, and his uh, that are his audience and his subject Jesus Christ, he's writing about Jesus. Matthew presents Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the um, Old Testament prophets had talked about. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And because Jesus is writing with the uh, Jewish people in mind, this is the perfect gospel to begin the New Testament. In fact, Matthew is the bridge that connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. So you may be sitting out there thinking, what in the world does that mean? Connect the Old Testament, the New Testament, what's going on? So I thought we'd begin by talking about the Bible, the Bible, how it's written. The Bible is God's love letter to us. We've said that many times, that it is the story of his great love of mankind, men and women, boys and girls, you and me. Now, the Bible is one book, but it is... um, made up of 66 books and that first part the old testament has 39 books and then we call the second part the new testament it's 27 books and all these books are inspired by the holy spirit different human authors but they're all inspired by the holy spirit so this bible is the word of god the bible these are god's words We can believe it. We can trust it. The Bible opens up and begins with the book of Genesis. And right in the beginning we see um, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, creates the universe. And God makes mankind. He makes Adam and Eve, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God loves them. And he walks with them. And he fellowships with them. And they're in the garden. It's paradise. It's wonderful. And then Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he tempts them. And they do the one thing that God told them not to do. They disobey him. And they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now that is a mouthful. Have you ever thought about it? The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm glad I don't have to go in the store and say, hey, do you have any fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Okay. This really isn't funny. It isn't funny because this is when sin enters the world. And nothing is the same after this. God doesn't leave Adam and Eve um, lost in their sin, though. He kills an animal the first time we see shed blood, and he um, clothes them with animal skins, and he provides them with fellowship. And we see a message of hope. As we see the consequences of what sin is going to do to the world now, we see a message of hope in the midst of God's curse to um, Satan, the serpent. And that's on your verse sheet, Genesis 3. 14 and 15 says this the Lord God said to the serpent he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel he there is referring to Jesus Christ he would come and some of your translations say crush Jesus Christ will come and defeat Satan right there Genesis 3 we see a reference to Jesus But sin runs wild, it runs rampant, there's evil and wickedness. In fact, so much so that in just a few chapters, the world is so evil that God destroys it with a flood. Except for Noah, righteous Noah, and his family. They're on the ark with two of every kind of animal. And when the... Waters recede and they come off the ark. Noah's sons begin to have children and they have children and they have children until um, the world is populated. And some generations later, Abraham comes on the scene. Now, Abraham is a man called by God and Abraham obeys God and follows him. And so God gives Abraham a threefold promise. He tells him, one, that he will have many descendants. He will be a great nation. And he tells him that... um, he is going to give him land, physical land, and that's the land in Israel today. And he tells him, and this is beautiful, he says, from your descendants will come a blessing for all nations. A blessing will come from you, Abraham. And I have that verse on your verse sheet as well. Um, We see it in Genesis 12, 3. We also see it repeated in Genesis 22, 18, where God says, and in your offspring singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is a reference to Jesus Christ coming to bless mankind. So Abraham has a son Isaac, Isaac has a son Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, and those sons multiply and increase until after 400 years in Egypt they have become a great nation. It will be called the nation Israel, but they're in slavery. So God, through Moses, leads them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into that land that God had promised Abraham. And they divide up the land among the families of the 12 great-grandsons of Abraham. They're called the 12 tribes. They divide it up and they're ruled by judges for about 300 years. And then they want a king and so they are ruled by kings for about 400 years. The first king is Saul and the second king is King David, the great King David. Scripture tells us he was a man after God's own heart. And so God promises David this. He says, your throne, your kingdom will never end. And I have that verse on your verse sheet that we see in 2 Samuel seven sixteen. this is part of that promise and your house and your kingdom this is God talking to David and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever this is another reference to Jesus Christ he would come king of the Jews and he would reign forever on that throne of David's So after um, David's son Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel split in two. And the northern part, they keep the name uh, Israel. The southern part is called Judah, and they are ruled by kings. And this is the time of prophets that come to the people because everyone is turned away from God. There are no good kings in the northern kingdom of Israel and just a few good kings in the southern kingdom, Judah, those that are reigning on the throne of David, And so the prophets come and they say, turn back to God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. Follow him. Turn to him. He is going to send a Messiah. The anointed one is coming to save you, king of the Jews. One place, we see this all through the prophets, but one of them is from the prophet Jeremiah. And I have that on your verse sheet. In chapter 23, 5, and 6, Jeremiah says this. behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David's righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness this is a reference to Jesus Christ coming to the earth to reign as king of the Jews So the prophets come, but the Israelites do not turn back to God. They do not follow him. Now, there's always a faithful remnant, a few people who follow and obey God. But for the most part, uh, the vast majority have cold hearts towards God. And so the Assyrians come and they conquer the northern kingdom, Israel, and disperse them. And then the southern kingdom is taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But I love what happens next. God does not forsake his people. He keeps his promises. And so he moves the heart of the Persian king Cyrus, who's in power now, to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. That is the capital city of Judah. And to um, rebuild it. And so they go under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they rebuild the temple. And they begin to worship God again. And they rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the land. Because God is preparing For a Savior to come from these people and to come from this place. So with this, the Old Testament closes and we have 400 years of silence. No inspiration from the Holy Spirit to human authors until... Jesus Christ is born until he comes onto the scene and the New Testament um, is opened with him. The Old Testament is the book of the promise of a Savior. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of that promise of a Savior in Jesus Christ. So the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels because the word gospel means good news. And they tell the good news story of Jesus, God the Son, coming to earth. We call that the incarnation, fully man and fully God, to give his life, to pay the penalty for our sin, that we might be made righteous, that we might be in fellowship, in a relationship with holy God. Now, each gospel emphasizes a different aspect of Jesus. So together, when we read all of them, we see a um, more complete picture of Jesus. Mark's gospel uh, presents Jesus as the servant and the sacrifice for our sin. He uses um, God, Jesus' words as his theme when Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of Luke, he presents Jesus as the perfect man, the son of man, the savior of the whole world, the savior of the um, outcast, the poor, the needy. Women, widows, children, all of these are emphasized in the book of Luke. And then John points out the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. And so he begins the book of John with these words, and in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. And that brings us back to the book of Matthew that we're going to study this semester. And Matthew presents Jesus as the king, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for, the anointed one that the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament So Matthew tells us in his gospel all the ways that Jesus fulfills these Old Testament prophecies. In fact, the word fulfilled, you're going to see it um, over and over again. And you might want to underline it because you know words are coming up next from the Old Testament. We're going to see that many times. Matthew is writing a convincing argument with much evidence on how Jesus is the Messiah and why they should accept him and believe in him. Unfortunately, the religious leaders of Israel do not accept him. And so many of the people of Israel also reject Jesus as their Messiah. And you're going to see this theme of rejection woven through the book of Matthew But Matthew's message to the Jews is this. Jesus has arrived and he is the king. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Matthew quotes more Old Testament verses in this gospel than any others. You're going to find more than 50 quotes from the Old Testament. And you also know that Matthew was writing for the Jewish people because he does not explain the Jewish customs. They would know their customs. But we do not. And so we will try to explain these customs as we come along them in our study. And that makes, uh, reminds me to say that the other teachers from, uh, that will be teaching at Women in the Word this semester are Lynn Kitchens, Shelley Davis, Amy Foster, Vanita Jones, and Misty Denman. You will see them up here uh, different times throughout this semester. The Gospel of Matthew also emphasizes the teachings of Jesus. There are um, five separate lengthy passages of Jesus' teachings. And then they're followed by um, actions and deeds of Jesus to illustrate what he has been teaching. Um, Because of the way Matthew lays it out like this, uh, these events are not always in chronological order. So we will try to point that out as well. But so many beautiful words of Jesus, profound words of Jesus. I think that is why this is my favorite gospel. These words of Jesus, they tell us who he is. We see his heart, and we also learn much about who we are from the words of Jesus. The first major teaching, by the way, is coming up week after next with Sermon on the Mount, and so you won't want to uh, miss that. And because Jesus is the king and a king has a kingdom, we um, see Matthew talking much about the kingdom of God. And he also refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Now the kingdom of heaven, that is a a term that we only see in the book of Matthew. And I thought we would um, talk about it for a second, that we would define it so that we know because we're going to see kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God mentioned many times. Those terms are interchangeable. When uh, Jesus comes to earth, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is God's rule over all the earth. Now, we know that God is sovereign and in control over all the earth, but this is talking about his dominion, about his rule over the earth. Um, One definition is the sphere of God's dominion uh, over those who belong to him the kingdom of heaven. Spiritually, when we trust Jesus, we leave the kingdom of this world and we enter the kingdom of heaven. Now it is invisible and people can choose whether they will give their allegiance to Jesus the king or they will not give their allegiance to him. But one day he is coming back. He's coming back a second time and at that time he will set up a literal earthly kingdom and he will reign on earth and scripture tells us then that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now it is a kingdom of the heart and he reigns in the lives of believers and Matthew um, tells us about this kingdom of heaven and how we can participate in it now as believers in Jesus. So let's talk one more minute about the author of Matthew, Early traditions hold that Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, is the author of this book of Matthew. Now Matthew was a Jew. He collected taxes from the Jews for the Romans who were in power at the time. So Matthew was probably very wealthy and he was also probably very hated by the Jewish people because they looked at tax collectors as traitors and as swindlers, as thieves really. Because he is a tax collector, we're going to see more about money in the book of Matthew than any of the other Gospels. In fact, um, when Pastor Ted taught that verse about the tax collector and the fish and the money, that was in the book of Matthew because he knows about taxes. And we're also going to see in the Gospel of Matthew that he uses the correct terms for coins of that day. Matthew was also humble. He knew he was a sinner. And when Jesus calls to him to follow him, he follows immediately. He opens his heart to Jesus. And I have that verse. um, We're going to see that in Matthew 9, 9. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. He immediately follows Jesus. And he not only opens his heart to Jesus, he opens his home to Jesus. The first thing he does is he invites him to come and meet his friends, other tax collectors and sinners. Matthew is an evangelist. He's an evangelist. Matthew also closes um, the book of Matthew with Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, the other uh, gospels tell us that Matthew's name was Levi, but when Jesus calls him and he follows him, Jesus changes his name to Matthew because Jesus didn't see a tax collector. He saw an author, one who would write the good news about Jesus. And by the way, uh, Matthew's name means gift of God. So, with all that background, let's turn to Matthew 1, 1, and we're going to begin to study the subject of the book of Matthew, and that is Jesus Christ, the King. Let's look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right here we see the connecting link to the Old Testament. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that word Christ there means Messiah. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one. Now, this may seem odd to us and sort of boring to begin this um, story of Jesus with a genealogy. A whole list of names. And these names, by the way, are all in the Old Testament. There's that connecting link. We, if we were going to write a biography, we would start it with some sort of catchy story about the person. We would write about something that Jesus did as a little boy. Start with a story. But... The Jews loved genealogies. This would be natural for the Jews. This would be interesting to them because they loved genealogies. They were important to them because that's how they knew what tribe they were from. And Matthew catches their attention right off by saying, son of David, son of Abraham. These guys, we just talked about them. They are two very important people in the Old Testament. From Adam comes that promise of blessing. From David, that promise of a king of of the Jews who would reign forever. And so we have talked about how those two guys would need to be in the genealogy of the Messiah. Matthew's pointing out, here he is. This is the um, Messiah. And probably because he's presenting him as the king, he lists son of David first. He he wants them to know that Jesus' line is royal. Royalty depends on heredity. We know that today because of England, or maybe I should say I know that because I keep up with the royals in England. Um, When Queen Elizabeth dies, her firstborn son, Charles, will be king. And when Charles dies, his firstborn son, William, will be king. And now we have little George, firstborn son of William. Uh, Royalty depends on heredity. We're going to see this title, son of David, referring to Jesus throughout Matthew. So be looking for that. Let's go on to verse 2. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, that's a woman. You might want to circle her. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And it goes down, drop down to um, verse 5. It says, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, second woman, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Third woman, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. So here we have in this first group of uh, names uh, the birth of the nation Israel. And then with verse six, this next section is going to be um, the section of the kings, when the kings ruled. And so we have verse six, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba, another woman we see. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father. And it goes down, and every one of these names, these are the kings of Judah that were on the throne of David. Until we get down here to 11, and it ends with their deportation to Babylon when they go into captivity and then we see in this next section, starting with verse um, 12, after the deportation of, like, come back from the captivity of Babylon and down through the time until now. Um, and we read that in verse um, 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is it. Messiah, he has arrived. And it's very important that um, we pay attention here when it says Joseph, the husband of Mary, because Matthew wants us to know that Joseph is um, the earthly father, kind of the foster father of Jesus, because Mary has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. So Joseph is the foster father, but it's from his line, the legal line, that Jesus has this line of royalty, that he's from the royal line from Joseph's ancestry. Now we have another uh, genealogy in the book of Luke. It's chapter 3, it starts in verse 23, and it's Mary's line of ancestors. And it too also goes all the way back to King David, but through his son, Nathan. Jesus is the Messiah from the royal line. He is king of the Jews this is good news. Good news. The Messiah is here and he has arrived and it is Jesus. That's what Matthew wants them to know. And Matthew is next going to tell about his birth. But before we begin reading that, I have got to say something about these five women mentioned in the genealogy. Do you know how unusual that is? How um, amazing that is. Uh, No one mentions women in their genealogies. In fact, you may have heard it said that the Jewish man, when he went to morning prayer, he would thank God that he was not a Gentile and that he was not a woman. Not a woman. And in this genealogy of Jesus, Matthew points out both. Rahab was a woman from Jericho. She was a Gentile. And Ruth was a woman from Moab. She was a Gentile. And so although Matthew is writing to the Jewish people, this is his audience. He wants them to know Jesus is bringing salvation to all who will believe in him. He's bringing down all the barriers. He's saying Jesus' salvation is for Jews and Gentiles. Men and women, rich and poor, the educated religious leaders, and the uneducated everyday man. Also, we look today in our questions, Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. There are some little glitches, some things not kind of look like sterling character in this ancestry of Jesus, but these women followed God and believed God. And they show up as the ancestors of Jesus. They are in his genealogy. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement. It's encouraging to know that Jesus came for me and he came for you. And our past does not disqualify us, it doesn't disqualify us. What we've done or what we've thought or who we are, what Our past, where we've come from, that does not disqualify us. God can use us if we follow him. So let's go on and read verse um, 18. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, we learn as much about Joseph in these next verses as we do about Mary. Mary and Joseph are engaged, betrothed is the word. Uh, They have not had sexual relations, but Matthew wants us to know that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So let me explain for a second the custom of marriage. When a man and woman were to be married, and this was arranged by the families, the first thing they would do would be um, betrothal, and that is kind of like our engagement, but it was a legal ceremony, and it was binding. It could only be broken by death or divorce, and by the way, if the man died during this betrothal period, the woman was considered a widow. She was called a widow. It lasted for one year, and they didn't live together. They lived in their separate homes, and then after that year was uh, up, they would have a marriage ceremony, and the husband would take her as his wife to his home, and they would consummate the marriage, and they would begin their life together. Interestingly, the betrothal period was one year because it was to show that the woman was pure if she doesn't show up pregnant during this time. And actually, that's exactly what happens. Mary does become pregnant during this time of betrothal. But it says Joseph was a just man, he was a good man, he was a righteous man, God following and God fearing. And we see also that he is merciful. He has mercy on Mary. He must have loved Mary a great deal. And so he was probably heartbroken when he hears that Mary is pregnant because he knows that this isn't his child. And so let's see what happens next. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill, there we see it, fulfill, underline it, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and here's the prophecy, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Joseph had not wanted to cause Mary more pain or more shame. He was going to divorce her quietly. Just go to two people and and make a certificate of divorce to to, uh, annul this engagement. And uh, That would have been really a kind thing for Mary because she could have even been stoned. That was along the books. It wasn't practiced much, but it could have been. But an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream, and it tells him, Mary has been faithful to you. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife and name the baby that comes, Jesus now Joseph must have been relieved to hear this. Mary um, has been faithful to him, but it would have been a little confusing as well. He must have been perplexed, thinking, how does that happen? But he has this prophecy to hold on to. And Joseph probably knew the scriptures. He probably knew the Old Testament prophecies. And so he knows this prophecy about a virgin that shall bear a child and the name and shall be called Emmanuel. This is from Isaiah 7. Um, Verse 14, and I have it on your verse sheet. I'm not going to read it, but you can see that prophecy there. And Emmanuel is one of the names that we call Jesus. And it's one of my favorites because it means God with us. God the Son comes to earth to dwell among us, to walk among us and be with us. And he gives his life for us that we might be in relationship with him. And what impresses me most about Joseph is he wakes up. And immediately, he obeys God. He takes Mary as his wife. Now, he takes her into his home, but he doesn't sleep with her. He doesn't consummate the marriage, um, as God has told him. And this wouldn't have been easy for Joseph, because this would have been humiliating. This would have ruined his reputation, because everybody's thinking he is the father, and they haven't really had the marriage ceremony yet. But he wants to care for Mary. So he takes her into his home. And then when the baby comes, he names the baby Jesus, just like the angel told him. He obeys everything that God had told him. Now that name Jesus, that's the Greek name for the Hebrew name um, Joshua or Yeshua. Um, It's kind of like Juan. It's the Spanish version of um, John. And Jesus, Joshua, means Lord is salvation. It's literally Savior. Savior. Now, this probably wasn't Joseph's plan. This isn't what Joseph thought was going to happen when he became engaged to Mary. This probably didn't turn out anything like he would have ever imagined, but yet Joseph knows God's plans are good, and he sees that he is going to become this father, this foster father of the Messiah, So he accepts God's plan, and he listens to God, and he obeys him. And I think it's a great example for us. We can know that God's plans are good, even though they're not what we had planned, even though maybe not even what we had expected. God's plans are good, and they really work best when we listen to him and we obey him. So let's go on and read about the visitors that come to see Jesus in chapter 2. And it uh, says here that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now that story, we learn all about it in Luke 2, but not so much here. And I have a map if we want to put that up. We can see, and this map is also in your questions, and you might want to refer to it over um, this semester. But you see Nazareth is up there in the top. Where you see that number 2? That is Nazareth. That is where Joseph and Mary are from. But they come down to Bethlehem. It's about 65, 70 miles. And that is where Jesus is born in the stable. And then let's see what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? "'For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him.'" Now, this is the story of the magi or the wise men. Um, Some of your translations may use one or the other of these words. They were probably astronomers. We know they were from the East. They were scholars that studied the stars and the sky. And somehow they know that this star that's in the sky now um, is pointing out the king of the Jews. We're not sure how they got that information, but they did. And so they have traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to worship the king. They are looking for the king of the Jews. Now, this story of the wise men is found only in the book of Matthew, and it makes sense that he would have this story here because he's presenting Jesus as the king. And so here are these wise scholars coming to worship Jesus, the king of the Jews. Let's go on and look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Here's another fulfillment of a prophecy. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so this is um, a prophecy from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. I put that on your verse sheet, but I'm not going to read it. Second prophecy. And um, these... Wise men, these magi, they're looking for the king of the Jews. So they come to Jerusalem, where um, King Herod is reigning, and there he come expecting to find this newborn king. But they don't find it. And it says, King Herod is troubled and he's troubled because he knows enough Old Testament scriptures to know that one day a Messiah is coming and he is from the line of David, and he will be the rightful heir to the throne. And Herod knows he is not that guy. In fact, Herod is only half Jewish. And he is ruling, reigning as king um, under the appointment by Rome, who's in charge at this time. Now, he doesn't know enough scripture to know where um, the... Messiah was to be born and so he calls the religious scholars and leaders and asks them and they do know the Old Testament scriptures and they know the prophet Micah has said he will be born in Bethlehem. So Herod calls them together and says, hey, um, when did you first start seeing this star? He's wanting to know how old is this baby. And he says, yeah, tell me where he is so that I can go worship him. Not true. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to get rid of him. And that's why he's troubled. He's thinking this isn't a good thing. And Jerusalem is troubled because they know King Herod is mean and cruel and um, no telling what will happen if there is another king found. So he tells them that he's born in Bethlehem. Go and see him. And it says that they go and they find. And by the way, did you notice none of these religious leaders, after telling the wise men, go to Bethlehem to see Jesus. Matthew's making that point. The religious scholars, the Jewish people, they're not going to worship the king. It's these Gentiles from afar that have come that know the truth. So they go and the uh, star stops over the house. And let's go on and look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned, let's stop there, give him frankincense and myrrh and gold. Okay, so the wise men from the east um, now have come to where this house has stopped. And a couple things jump out at me. Um, One, they come to a house. And two, they call Jesus a child, or your translation may say young child. So time has passed. They are no longer in a stable. They're in a house. And Jesus is probably 18 months old, maybe somewhere less than two years old. And it says that they stopped and they rejoice with exceeding great joy. They are so happy because they have found the one that they are looking for. And I can imagine the joy they felt. At finding Jesus. Have you ever rejoiced over Jesus? Maybe you hear a song that speaks of the love of Jesus or the goodness or his sacrifice and your heart is touched. Maybe you um, rejoice when you hear someone speak the truth about Jesus and your soul is stirred. Or maybe you meet Jesus face to face when you have prayed Or you've read the word and you meet Jesus there and your heart is filled to overflowing with joy for the Lord Jesus. And out of your heart comes worship, this overflowing of love and joy into praise and adoration for Jesus. That's what worship is, our love and joy in our hearts overflowing into praise and adoration for Jesus our Savior. That's what happened to the wise men. They bowed down and they worshiped Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they gave him their finest gifts. Now, gold and frankincense and myrrh, not exactly maybe. Maybe gold we might bring to someone. But frankincense and myrrh, but these were expensive, fine gifts fit for a king. And interestingly, we see Jesus' identity in these gifts. Gold... Purity is a gift for a king, and Jesus is the king. And frankincense was a glittering incense, and last semester we learned frankincense was burned uh, in the tabernacle by the priests, a pleasing aroma that went up before God. Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus is God. And then myrrh is a spice used for embalming the dead. And this represents Jesus, our sacrifice, the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then we see in verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, we don't know um, this dream. Maybe it was the same angel that talked to Joseph comes and tells them. But this is God saying, don't go back to Herod. And so the last thing we see the wise men doing is obeying God. They don't go back to Herod. They go home a different way. Wow. So much to learn, and to think about from God's words in Matthew. And that's how it's going to be all semester long. And my thought all week has been, is Jesus king of my life? Um, Do I give my total allegiance to Jesus? You know, the wise men give us such a great example here that I want it to be our closing application. Come to Jesus the king. Believe in him. Enter his kingdom. And if you've done that rejoice in him worship him give your best to him now I don't know what that might be it's different for each of us maybe you want to give him your time more time spent reading his word or praying or just thinking about him during the day maybe you want to give um, him your talents those things that you can do and and bless others with that um, for Jesus sake maybe you want to obey him That you want to obey him this semester. For he is our king. Joy to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You love us and we love you, Lord. And we're so grateful for these words in Matthew. We're so grateful to know about Jesus, God the Son, coming to earth because he loves us. Because he wants us to walk with him and be with him forever. Father, thank you so much for these women that have come to study your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. That their hearts would be touched by your words in Matthew. And that you would draw them close to you as we follow Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.